This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at leno.com slash ifreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to iFreaks, episode number 222. This week, it's just Jame and, and I. Uh, I'm Andrew Madsen in Salt Lake City. And you all know Jame. We're actually going to talk to Jame today about uh, some, some stuff he's been doing lately with code signing. This is a topic that's sort of, I think, every iOS developer has to deal with it, and it, it's a source of trouble. It's gotten better at, over time as Apple has improved things in Xcode, but it's still really something that developers need to understand um, to to build and release iOS apps. James, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing that that brought this topic up? Sure. As as we all know, every WWDC, they fix it for all time. It all it all just works. We never have to deal with any certificates, improvement profiles, and we all know that doesn't work. And while each version of Xcode, we're on Xcode nine now. If you're just doing development stuff, you don't have to deal that much with it. Get your certificate, get your profile, you're pretty much set up. If you mess something up, you know, the fix it will do something not awful, uh, provided you're on a small team or working by yourself. But if you're working on a larger team, it might not do the things that you want. And if you're trying to set up a CI server, continuous integration with Jenkins or however, you want to do builds like off your actual development machine, those things start to get bad. And you have to get into things where you're actually doing the manual code signing and setting those up and things fail and you don't know why. So I spent uh, quite a bit of time over the past couple of months setting up um, code signing and doing some stuff for that on a build server. And I thought our audience would like to know more about it. Yeah, I know this is something I've dealt with. I actually remember the very first day I sat down to do iOS development, which was when the original SDK came out in beta back in early 2008. And code signing, you know, the, Apple had a document or tutorial or something. Code signing was quite a pain. You had to use keychain access and manually request a certificate from Apple and all that stuff. And certainly things are better than that now. And in Xcode 9, you can mostly, like you said, just click the automatically manage signing checkbox in your project and things kind of just work. And if you're if you're sort of used to that, uh, you know, you've been most mostly doing iOS development in the last few years, code signing Hopefully, you know, is is easier, but it also may mean you don't have a, a, a real understanding of what's going on under the hood. And so I wondered if you could just sort of walk through really what is code signing? What is Xcode doing behind the scenes or what, what do you need to configure your build pipeline to do in order to code sign an app? Sure. So the reason Apple wants us to code sign our apps is so they can guarantee what people are running on their devices matches what we built. The apps that we built, we sign it with something that only we have the private key to. And that way Apple can verify what they're running when they're installed on the device uh, matches what we did. So in that, in that case, that's good because we don't want corrupt things doing bad things with our, our, our apps. You know, they can, we do, we input a lot of sensitive, sensitive information to our apps. So that could be a real security hole that could 
steal all sorts of bad things, social security numbers, anything. So in a sense, code signing helps us. Yeah, so I think as much as we iOS developers like to complain about code signing, it's actually a really important part of the entire iOS security model. And, you know, I think one of the things those of us that love iOS really like about it, even even now, is that it remains um, quite a secure platform. You don't hear about huge malware infestations or security breaches or anything on, on iOS. And I think that's because Apple did a good job at the outset designing the security model to prevent that kind of stuff. Definitely. So while you know the default Xcode handling code signing works for a lot of cases, if you have a large team, if you've got five, ten developers or multiple provisioning profiles and you click download, you know, you get all of them, you know, as kind of as the as kind of the fix just to just so Apple just just so Xcode can hopefully find one that works. And that gets a little bit messy, especially if you're trying to set up a, a CI server. But, you know, with code signing, what, essentially what happens, that's a, that's a, you know, code sign is an actual application that lives on your Mac. You know, it's a BSD application. It's been around for a while and it just allows you to, um, guarantee what, um, allows you to sign your application so Apple knows what to do with it. Um, things that it uses are things like, you know, the provisioning profile um, which and your entitlements, which lets the operating system know what type of features you want to use with your app. Are you doing any push notifications? Are you, can you share a keychain with any other applications? Um, you know, any type of information sharing. That's all done in there. And if you're trying to roll your own build system and get something working on a build server, a lot of times you're dealing with that themselves. Some of the hosted solutions handle some of that for you but a lot of cases you're writing scripts either in ruby some in f sharp i was actually working on the xamarin app and they had an f sharp based system and so i had to go through and and do that by hand uh, one of the things that we did is we had a, a build that we wanted to um, use in you know, three or four different environments so let's say you have a, a development environment that your developers use uh, we had a Test environment that tested testers would use. You have an app that you want to give to a more general release, say internal, and you have an app that you want to go to test flight to a longer thing. So that's that's four builds, and our builds, the build times were very long. So one thing that you can do uh, that will cut down your build times is you can change a lot of that information, drop it in. So you can anything that's in your info.p list, you can modify your bundle ID, all that type of things. You can you can expand the application, uh, drop in new things, uh, modify the provision profile if you need to, or entitlements, and you can re-sign it, and you can install it on a device, which sounds very easy, but there are many, many pitfalls. But um, one of the more common setups that teams are using is Jenkins. Um, if you're developing an app for an established company, a lot of them are just using Jenkins because they have full control over what, um, what what is being built. And it doesn't give you a lot of help when you're doing iOS stuff. Um, so you end up having to script it somehow yourself. 
Yeah. So what I, I've had this experience, I've actually only ever done builds with Jenkins. I've never used one of the hosted solutions or um, I know Xcode, Xcode server and the Xcode bot stuff is out there. seems to me like code signing is one of the things that could do really well for you, but I've not heard super good things about Xcode server. So anyway, if you're, if you're using Jenkins, which I think is probably the most common uh, thing that iOS developers are using for their CI or, or build servers, um, what what tools are you using beside i mean the code sign tool is a thing on on the mac it's a command line tool for doing code signing but you're going to have to script that somehow or are you using some kind of third party tool built up around that or what are you doing sure so you can just script it yourself into a bash or a lot of the you know different scripty type build languages build frameworks, I, I don't know exactly how to say it, but uh, the build tools, um, they provide some method of getting to applications on the on the host system. So you can do it that way. But the first step, say you're setting up for Jenkins, is you, know, you actually need to install, um, a lot of companies will just use a Mac Mini, and you need to uh, you know, install Xcode on there. And you need to you need a way to you know, install your certificate your development certificate and your provisioning profiles on the machine and the first step people always do is just install it on the machine those they'll double click it and they'll go in their login keychain um, which is fine for a lot of cases but perhaps you don't want your certificates and provisioning profiles to live on your build machines all the time so you can get them from a more secure uh, place and you can use the security tool, which is also a, a little uh, utility that lives on on your on your Mac. And you can do things like create a new keychain, delete a keychain, um, add your certificate to the keychain. But the, the first step, you know, you do when you set up a CI system is you're just going to install Xcode, and you want to make sure Jenkins can log in um, to your machine and do. Um, run some UI type commands, which sounds simple, but that's a problem because the default for the code sign tool, if you're actually code signing something, is to pop up a dialog and ask you if you actually meant to do that. Well, if your Jenkins is going to SSH into your box as a Jenkins user, generally, and it's going to try and run the code sign, and your Apple's, your Mac OS is going to try and pop up a little dialogue for you and it can't because it's a it's a it's a script and then you get a very helpful error you know code sign is exited with code one and you're going to get code sign exited with code one quite a bit um, but you can do things like uh, typically what i found to work most the ways that had worked on previous versions of the operating system so Mostly what I'm talking about that worked for me in our system is working on Sierra. Um, a lot of the blog posts and you know, Stack Overflow posts are talking about older versions, and what they recommend doesn't always work, so this type of stuff does change. Um, but you can um, install the your certificate um, with, with the keychain access and you can explicitly give code sign permission to to operate it. Um, some of the blog posts suggest giving 
anything on your system um, access to your certificate, which is not terribly a good idea. But you can lock it down. So it's just just code sign uses it, which is a little bit safer. And you just go, you do that through the you know the keychain access app. So I know one one thing that I ran into when I was trying to set this up is that we'd have we had multiple developers on the team, and it we'd have a you know the build server would be running along building just fine, and then. Uh, one of the developers would, you know, get a, get a new computer, or I don't, I don't know, you know, what would happen. But they would end up on a machine that didn't have the certificate that was needed to sign the app on their local machine. So they would hit the reset certificates button or whatever in Xcode, which would revoke the existing certificate, request a new one. It would fix their problem, but then the next time the build server tried to build, it couldn't do that, couldn't do so because it had a bad, you know, a now revoked certificate. And then, of course, I'd try to fix it on the build server and screw up the, the developer who had just tried to fix that problem. And, and just keeping certificates in sync between developers' machines and the build server was quite a pain at times. I wonder if that's something you've run into and, and how you've solved it, if so. Sure. So that's definitely one of the things you have to manage, especially if you've got a larger team and you're trying to set that, get things working on a build server. So there's a couple of different approaches. A lot of times, People will just share a certificate. In fact, uh, the Fastlane tools have set this up so you can do this. And I haven't really used it, but conceptually, you store your certificate, your provision profiles all in one place. Um, it's hosted in Git. You know, it's a private repository in Git, hopefully. Uh, but anyone can get the certificates and the provisioning profiles. And Fastlane has a set of tools that just you run the command and it just does it for you and I should probably look it up to see what the name of that tool is. It's called Fastlane okay. Match. Fastlane Match. Yeah. So that's one approach uh, that people use. And that seems to work fine. If you are a very security-conscious organization, um, your security person might have an issue with you keeping certificates and provisioning profiles on GitHub because if someone's going through and unclicks you know, private repository, all of a sudden that's available for anyone which means anyone can sign your, can build an app and sign it as you. So that can be a problem. I think for most apps, that's probably not front of mind, but if it's a real secure type application, you want to look at it. And I found, you know, just keeping the the, the, the build certificates in sync, um, we've got multiple build boxes going on, and I just have one certificate that I installed for one and got the provisioning profiles working, and then I just exported it into you know the p12 file and re reinstalled it so that's a pretty clean way of keeping your certificates somewhat sane versus having one for each box you know you can export them and import them again so i found that to work fairly well um, so that's my recommendation for most cases cool so uh i i think fastlane match basically automates that process it, it stores the p12 in a git repo and then match you know kind of does the work of downloading it on a new machine or you know if it gets changed if somebody changes it match will upload the new certificate to git so that everybody else can get it and it just automates that process of syncing the certificate to everybody's machine including the build server mm -hmm. so yeah if, if you've got fast lane you know you can and you like running it you're, you're your company's on board with it. That's a, a solid approach. I, I would 
recommend using. But along with all these other executive with code one problems, um, you might have to do some more things um, with the security app. Um, if you have a long build cycle, your build can time out. And all of a sudden, you've opened the keychain, and by the time you actually need to sign it, you've, already, you've closed it. And there's a, there's a default, and it's not very long. It's like maybe six minutes, 600 seconds, I think. Um, but there is a command you can set with the security app. It is set-keychain-settings, and you can pass it a longer time. You can do an hour or whatever. Um, and that allows the code sign app the ability to access your certificate and do what it needs to do. And if you look at the the scripts in, mo- in the most of the CI things like Travis, you'll see they'll do something like that because uh, if you have longer builds, that can become a problem. And if you run across this problem, you have long build, I just saved you about half day of debugging because there's not much out there on this. Another problem I remember is that if the internet uh, connection to Apple's time server goes down, you can't code sign builds. Have you ever hit into that? This episode is brought to you by Gamefly.com. Gamefly has over 8,000 new releases and classics available to rent for Xbox One, Xbox 360, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3, PS Vita, Wii U, Wii, and 3DS, as well as older systems. As a Gamefly member, you can rent as many console or handheld games as you want and get them delivered right to your mailbox for one low monthly fee. If you like a game so much that you don't want to send it back, you can keep it for a low used price. There are never any due dates or late fees. Gamefly also offers the ability to rent Blu-ray and DVD movies as part of the regular service at no extra charge. They're offering a premium three-day trial for free. That's one game out shipped directly to you with a pre-addressed envelope included for easy returns, no contracts, cancel any time. You can get this 30-day free trial at GameFlyOffer.com slash devchat. That's GameFlyOffer.com slash devchat for a 30-day free trial. I've never ran into that, so I'm not exactly sure what is happening behind the scenes if it requires an internet connection or not. Um, I, you know. I've actually had this happen on my local machine. A build server is maybe not as big of a deal because a build server without an internet connection is not going to be able to do much it's not going to be able to pull changes from git or upload new builds to your you know deployment or to do anything really um, but on my local machine before i've had code signing fail with some cryptic error and it turns out it's because my internet connection is down and the code sign tool itself goes and checks the apple time server i presume to make sure that you couldn't to make it so you i think it's so you can't can't use an expired certificate by just setting the time on your machine back right it'll it'll go check with the time server to see if it's really 2013 or whatever Mm -hmm. no that that all makes sense i think that's just a security precaution otherwise you could just set your mac back and say yep it's uh 2014 and we're just rocking pretty annoying though when you're just trying to build an app because you're developing it and you can't all right. Well, uh, are there are there if somebody you know if somebody's kind of getting into this new, they've been tasked with setting up a build server for their iOS apps, or it's you know just something they've never done before. What are some good sources of information for how to figure all this stuff out besides listening to us talk? Right. So it's it's tough to find good information on this. Uh, if you if you search on the error messages you run into, you might get a a non-answered Stack Overflow post or something that works for a 
previous version of OS 10. Uh, but there are quite a bit of good resources uh, on this. Um, you know, Apple has actually pretty good information on it, and I'll put these in the show notes. Um, so Apple's pretty good. Um, Objective C, OBCIO issue 17 did one on security, and they uh, they talk about inside code signing, which gives a a good overview of what's happening in there. So those are some good places to start. Um, yeah, because it took me a while to find these these resources, even though they seem pretty obvious in hindsight. Because you know, usually you run into a problem on iOS, you Google it, you get something in Stack Overflow, and you're you're back on your way. Um, these get these are trickier, and it, it makes sense to sit back and read through the docs and understand what's happening, because you end up piecing pieces from two or three blog posts or forum questions to actually solve the problem that you're trying to solve. Somebody should write a book. It would be outdated outdated in six months. Yeah, because Apple would fix everything and you wouldn't have to read a book about this stuff anymore. Of course, at that point, you could just start a Patreon person. Like, I was the person that made Apple fix this and people just send you tons of money. <laughs> right. Uh, I would that send would them some out. money. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's that's part of the problem, right? Is that co- the, all this code signing stuff has changed in some subtle ways and some big ways over the years. So you may find stuff by googling that's from 2014 or whatever, and it's not exactly quite right for net, for you know Xcode nine or makes that a little difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's some tool like some undo- undocumented thing in in the security app that worked on the previous version of of OS ten Mavericks, I think, and it's not documented and someone had to actually get on the phone with an Apple engineer for quite a while to figure out that it worked. And it had something to do with uh, importing your your certificate and profile um, that you had to run. And after you ran it, then it worked. Um, I tried that with Sierra. Didn't work at all. And finally, just uh, had to go through the UI to install my certificates. Was there anything else we should mention before we wrap up? Yeah, just um, want to go a little bit about what I learned going through and you know taking an existing build and unwrapping it. And a lot of people know that an IPA is just a basically a zip file. It's just renamed IPA. Um, so you can run a zip utility on it, and you can you can see the contents of what's actually being shipped in the IPA that that you're building. And if you rename it to zip, you can double-click on it, and the system will do it for you. But if you just want to do an unzip from the command line into your IPA, it'll extract it. And you know the app itself is you know just a file system, so you can actually go in there and see what is what's in there, and you'll see your info.plist, uh, entitlements.plist, and different things. You can see where your provision your profile ends up. So I recommend people. You know, play with it, see what's happening. And you can do things like change things in your info.plist. If, and you can change your provisioning profile, drop those in, resign it, and redo it. So uh, if someone gives you an app that you don't have the source code for and you need to change it, so you need to, say, change the organization it's being built for, you have the power of doing that. It's kind of a pain. Uh, but you can do it. You can, you can change your bundle identifier and you can drop in new provision profiles and a new certificate. So that's all possible. Um, 
and it's out there, and I'm living proof that you can still install it on a device. Um, uh, there are problems, uh, especially if you go from, like, a, say, a, a debug uh, version of an app to a, a release or an enterprise version. Um, your entitlements will change subtly, and it's something that happens during the Xcode build that doesn't really isn't exposed anywhere. Um, you know, with like code sign security, you can see what's actually being done and recreate what would be happened in Xcode build and in the changes that happen to say go from a debug push notification to a release push notification aren't obvious, but you can go through and get information on uh, the entitlements. Oh, this command for that. And you can do the same type of thing with, uh, you can use PLS Buddy, which is a app that's sitting on your Mac right now. And you can notice what the build system is doing. Um, there's just a handful of things based on what entitlements you have. And you can actually modify the, you know, the entitlement to PLIST uh, as part of your process and rebuild it. And you can get it to install on a machine. Because if your entitlements don't match your provisioning profile, you're not going to be able to, to install it. And if you don't want to figure all this stuff out yourself, call Jame and he'll. You can def, you can definitely call Jame. I can I can walk you through it. And if your company doesn't want to deal with this stuff, I can help you through it. Yeah, um, I'm actually thinking about setting up a service to help companies get through this type of stuff because there's no reason to bang your head over. There's no reason to bang your head against the wall on this stuff. I've already done it. And it hurts. Yeah, well, and I know that um, as the the engineer that was responsible for the build server at my last job, I banged my head against the wall for hours and hours and hours and probably sometimes days on this stuff. And it, just in terms of cost effectiveness, it probably would have been, made more sense to pay somebody who had already figured it out and knew what they were doing to, to figure it out, or, you know, to fix it for us. True. Like once it's set up, you know, it can just run. You can see... Okay, what people wanted, what, what the idea was, and people can top on and change stuff if they need to. But yeah, the initial setup is is tricky. And this stuff, by the way, works for native apps and you know Xamarin. If you're doing a Xamarin app, it ends up in the same place. It's still an IPA, and all this, there's still an info.plist and this type of stuff. This all makes sense if you're doing a native or a Xamarin app, and likely React Native and all those other things too. So um, just because you're not doing native apps doesn't mean you don't have this power. Yep. It's the same on the Mac, too. Apps on the Mac work basically the same way. And code signing is a thing there, too, unfortunately. Well, fortunately or unfortunately. I Definitely. All right. Well, is there anything else you think we really need to mention? Yeah, I think that's good. Um, another security practice that you might want to do is some companies don't leave their certificates on, on the device, on their build machines. They'll just bring it down. They've got some secure, secure place where it's stored down or it's stored and they, they grab it down and you don't have to install it on your login keychain like everything else. You can create a new keychain and add, add your certificate there and delete it. Uh, that way, if a hacker breaks into your build machine, they don't have access to your certificates. So if you do want to get more secure and if you're a company where that values this type of security, uh, that's an option. But I think that's that covers a lot of what I know. 
Cool. Well, thanks, James. Uh, it was good to get you to talk about some of this stuff. It's an area of iOS development that everybody hits into, is not super well documented, um, and uh, is a little can be a little bit frustrating. But I think the the takeaway from what you've been saying is that you can figure it out. It is possible to make this stuff work well. Um, definitely, yeah. And once you get it, you know what you can do. You can you know help it to. Uh, move your pipeline along and, and solve your business problems. All right. Well, let's get to the picks. Jane, do you have any picks for us? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Sure, I'll do one pick. That A recent article by Jeff Johnson, he was on the show a few months ago. And as Erica alerted to me last week, Apple just went ahead and did a bunch of releases for apps. Didn't really explain what it was. They did some things where they re-signed it. They, and no one knew, really knew what happened. And Jeff Johnson did an article. He, kind of, he sat down and explored it, did a lot of things that we talked about uh, on the show. He, he unzipped his IPA and took a look at what was happening in there. And he does a decent job of explaining the internals, what's happening, especially He's looking to see if, if the bit code had been re- recompiled um, for the app. And from what you can see, it was simply a certificate being updated and Apple recode signing it and updating it. And I don't know why they would do that because, as he mentioned in the, in the, in the article, that timing didn't seem to be an issue. So we're not sure why it happened or I wasn't able to find something, but uh, yeah. Jeff Johnson did a recap of the Mastery Phantom app updates that occurred last week or so, and decent blog post on it. So that's my pick. Cool. Thanks for the pick, Jim. I have two picks. Um, my first pick is an article that I, uh, I I've been trying to learn, I want I've been wanting to learn a little bit about machine learning lately, and um, I'm not doing any kind of real formal study of it and I, I don't have a project to work on yet, but uh, I've got an idea for something I kind of want to do, but it's just an area I've wanted to learn more about. So I kind of tried to dig into this over the Thanksgiving break and um, I found a, an article about doing uh, recognition of handwritten digits using um, a, a neural network. And I think it's really, really super well written. He starts at the very beginning to explain how, how a neural net, network is built and what, you know, a synapse in a neural network looks like and all of that. And, uh, it's very clear and easy to understand and super fascinating and, you know, kind of builds you up to actually, um, being able to 
to do this thing, recognize handwritten digits using a neural network. So I'm going to pick that. Uh, it's just, it's just a blog post or an article. Um, and then the second thing I'm going to pick is PyCharm, which is a JetBrains, uh, JetBrains IDE for Python. Um, JetBrains makes IDEs for a bunch of different languages, including app code for iOS and Mac for doing Swift and Objective-C development. But they, they have a Python IDE called PyCharm. And Python is kind of probably the most commonly used language for machine learning stuff. Uh, there are a lot of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence frameworks for Python. Um, things like Google's TensorFlow are sort of have, primarily has a Python API. So if you're going to do machine learning, you should use Python. And um, maybe it's just because I'm spoiled by being a iOS developer, Mac developer for, for a long time and using Xcode. But I, I much prefer to write code in an IDE than the kind of text editor and a terminal sort of way of doing things. So I've been enjoying PyCharm. And those are my picks. So I'll add in a pick on the, in the machine learning thing. After WWBC and the Coromel announcements, I got really excited and started reading up on it. And I found a podcast, which I found to be pretty interesting. And it, it's not a high-level not a high-level podcast. It gets pretty deep in the weeds. Most of this person's guests are PhDs that are doing pretty crazy research on it. Um, but beyond the... You know, the technical jargon, which is pretty obtuse, and a lot of it's over my head, I think the concepts underneath it are not that hard. You know, think how a two-year-old takes in knowledge, and they've got some concept for that because they're trying to do the same thing with, you know, a machine and taking all this data and making sense out of it. So while the concepts are, I'd say, well, the nomenclature is very complex, and actually getting computers to do it is, is very hard and something that we're figuring out. The concepts are not that hard. So, but um, I think the the podcast is this week in machine learning, an AI podcast, and I've listened to it. I, I haven't, it's been a few months since I've listened to it, but uh, good stuff just to get an overview of what people are doing with it and how machine learning type people um, talks amongst themselves. Yeah, that's one of the things I found getting into this a little in the last week is it. If you haven't done it before, it seems really mysterious and kind of outside the realm of, of understanding for mere mortals. And there are really hard problems in machine learning, and it's a um, it's a field that is it's not a, it's not actually a new field, but it's a field that's becoming mainstream kind of right now. And so there's a lot of work going on in it. But the fundamental concepts are definitely things you can understand. They're not just impossible to to figure out. For sure, there was a good there's a good. Um session at at allconf um but on machine learning so that's one thing, good thing to check out if you get into that and that's written by a ios developer uh given and so definitely something that we can all understand and get right away i'll put a link to that in the show notes cool all right well thanks james thanks everybody for listening uh we'll see you all next week see ya bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.